When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode two of the 1871 podcast. I'm your host, Mark Roach, and your co-hosts are former Royals left back Dylan Kerr and Reading fan Johnny Hunt, who is definitely a Royals legend, judging by his 28,000 Twitter followers, and just to put that in context, that is double the number of followers that A.D. Williams has got. And Dylan, you've also got more followers than A.D. Williams as well. So for anyone who wants to follow Johnny, he's at Hunty Royal on Twitter. And Dylan is at Legend3. And don't forget, you can follow the 1871 podcast on Twitter and Instagram at 1871podcast. And just a heads up for you that next week's guest is none other than 80s goal machine, Trevor Senior. But now it's an absolute honour, privilege and great pleasure to introduce our special guest this week, the legendary former Royals manager, Steve Koppel. So, Steve, hello and a very warm welcome to the show. How are you? No, I'm great. Thank you very much. Uh, yes, enjoying life uh, a lot less hectic than my days at the Majeski, but uh, enjoyable all the same. Well, it's absolutely fantastic to have you on the show, Steve. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, but before we speak to Steve and before we um, uh, have, a, have a chat with Steve about his time at Reading and the, and the current Royals team, it's fair to say that it has been a very eventful few days for the Royals. A 3-2 win at Preston on Saturday followed by the announcement that Velko Paunovic was no longer the manager. Then came the news that Paul Ince and Michael Jilks have been put in interim charge. And Noel Hunt is back at the club as under-23s manager. And I heard that Paul Ince has said that he thinks Reading played like Barcelona in the first half. <laughs> so, Johnny, I'm going to come to you now. What do you make of an extraordinary last few days for Reading? I said last week it's never boring, and it's proved it's a geez. You get, you get a win, sack the manager, or manager resigned. And like, I, I actually like Panic because the person's a human being, he's a lovely guy, and it's, it's copped a lot. Um, 
change needs to be made for timing and everything else. Who knows? The game on Saturday, I was following it. And, you know, typical Reading 3 0 up, you're going, yeah, 3 1, 3 2. Oh, here we go again. But by some fortunate thing, we actually got through and won the game. Going, oh, positive evening. Sack that the manager goes. Paul Lintz comes along. Tom Mintz must have said, yeah, my dad's available. Fancy giving him a job. Like, you know, go for it. Um, you can't make it up, really, can you? Like, it's just it's just like a, a football soap opera. And Dylan, I come to you now. What are your thoughts about Paul Lintz and Michael Jilks as interim managers? Look, I mean, at the end of the day, it's, it's a change from the usual that Reading have appointed in the past few years with foreign coaches that can come, who think they can come into the country and know the English game, but they don't really know the English game. They don't know the mentality of the English players. Um, and, you know, obviously I heard that Michael Jiltz was going to be, you know, the, the interim coach. I didn't know that Paul Inns was going to be uh, coming with him. Uh, but, you know, I, I and I'm going to ask Steve this question, you know, why is it now that English managers and English coaches are being overlooked for all these foreign coaches that, you know, are coming from, you know, not, I wouldn't say a good background, but not really a background in football, you know. So whether it's going to work or not, you know, John has just said that, you know, they were three in a up, the manager resigns, he gets fired, his time's up, whatever it is. You know, Reading have got to survive in the championship. So... You know, the, for once, they've actually brought in a, in, in a coach or a manager that's English. You know, so I think that's a, that's a good thing. But then again, that's, again, I'm going to ask Steve that question. So, Steve, over, over to you. We've got loads to talk about. But <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I think in terms of uh, coach or manager... Uh, appointments now I, I, I struggle at a lot of clubs to understand how and why certain people have been appointed in that particular position uh, again looking at the situation here it looked as if the manager left was under a lot of pressure a lot of strain uh, ideal in a way for him that he left on a high with a great result away from home it doesn't solve the real problem, though, of, you know, the club is going into a deep downward spiral. And I've lost a lot of connections. I, I'm still connected, but I, I don't have current connections with anybody at the club. I don't speak to anybody about the present situation. So maybe you could fill me in and, and tell me who makes the footballing decisions now? Who decides what's going on? Is there a, an end game? Is there a plan? You know, coaches, I would prefer to see English coaches because I'm a proud Englishman. But I also appreciate that a lot of foreign coaches can bring different aspects, which are, are very, very important. Um, so I've got an open mind whether it's a, a new coach who comes in is, is foreign or English. But why are these people appointed? For what reasons? What is their brief? What are they told to achieve? What is success? What is failure? Um, is it a cheap option? Is it an easy option? You know, these are the things somebody somewhere is accountable for it all. And to, to see Reading in the position it's in, you know, from afar now, it, it's really, really sad for me, I must admit. And, you know, it, 
before that came on Saturday, you could only fear the worst. So I hope it's a little bit of a corner turned. I hope that NC can come in with Jotzi and, and, and really revitalise. They call it the bounce now, don't they, when they have a new coach? So I hope that they can come in, get a bounce effect, which is perhaps a little bit more sustained and prove to whoever is making decisions in charge that they have a right to, to be there and have a claim to be there perhaps in the long term. And, and Steve, yeah, Steve, in answer to your question, by the way, we have no idea. We, we, don't, we, hmm. don't know who, we don't know what's going on. We'd love, we'd love someone to tell us, but... Um, Obviously, you you were so successful your your time at Reading, and, and we hope it's a bounce, and we hope that bounce continues and, and transforms into better form and Reading going up the table. But let's go back twelve years to that amazing championship championship title winning season, a record one hundred six points, and then you followed that up by finishing eighth in the Premier League the following season. I just wondered, firstly, how do you feel now when you look back on all that you achieved as Reading manager? Oh, with, with huge affection and pride, I, I would say that, because it was a process. You know, again, it, it was almost a mission. Before I got the job, I'd spoke to Alan Pardew about the situation, and Alan, Alan's a good manager. He knows his football, he knows his players, he knows the importance of correct recruitment. And if you look at, you know, our best team, half of the team was recruited by him. So he laid really, really solid foundations. Then I came in and, um, you know, from memory, I think my first year I finished ninth, second year seventh. And I'd signed a three-year contract. So you didn't need to be Einstein to realise that if I didn't get promotion or pretty damn close to promotion in my third year, I'd probably be on my way. And uh, we made a couple of subtle changes, subtle changes about the way we were doing things, you know, based on the, the premise that keep on doing what you're doing, you're going to get more of what you've got. And I had a feeling that unless we made a couple of big changes, we wouldn't, you know, reach, reach that higher echelon. So, uh, you know, personnel changes, we had the immense good fortune to sign uh, Kevin Doyle. Uh, we signed Leroy Leiter as well. That was part of our you know, attacking plan. I always said to get out of the division, you need to have two strikers. And there may be different people at various times during the season are going to score you 40 goals at least. So we had three top quality strikers and they certainly satisfied that. Uh, but we also brought in um, a management company who analysed the personalities, not only of the players, but also of the, uh, the staff which was, uh, I, I think, unique at the time. Um, they came in. Um, uh, Catalyst was the name of the company. Mark Reynolds was the man in charge of that company. He'd been working for Sachi and Sachi. So he was looking at things purely from a business point of view. And we made uh, uh, um, uh, uh, conclusions about the dynamic of the, the staff and the way the players learned, because players learn things in different ways. Some are touchy-feely, some are talky, some need to be shown on a blackboard or video or whatever. So we designed a, you know, a, a totally uh, different way of doing things, but still 
based around the core values of attacking football. You know, I was brought up at Manchester United, which was get the ball forward and wide, uh, make defences spread when they defend and get crosses into the box. And that was our basic philosophy. It was obviously tinkered with an awful lot over time, but we just wanted to attack. You know, we thought our best way of winning games was to score more goals in the opposition. We we weren't that bothered about conceding goals because we knew we had firepower. So, you know, looking back now, it was a, a three-year process. And I, I look at the third season. We'd had a brilliant, brilliant pre-season. I thought we were going to smash the league. And then first game, Plymouth at home, what everyone would have called a three-point banker, and we got beat 2-1. The desolation I felt after that game driving home was, you know, I was lower than a snake's belly. You couldn't have got me off the floor all weekend. And then we played Brighton on the Tuesday, and I still maintain that was our most important game. We won that. Glenn Little, superb. And then we steamrolled everybody. It was an awful good feeling going into games, knowing that you should win. Sounds stupid in football now in terms of in terms of the way people say, oh, I think positive and all this. But in football, I think to a certain extent, football people are fatalistic. They sometimes think the worst. Fear is the biggest motivation, but there were a lot of games we played teams and you could sense the fear when they came into the stadium because they knew they were playing a good side. And, you know, we did stupid things. We, we painted the away dressing room a horrible colour because we didn't want the away <laughs> team to feel comfortable. Yeah. It was like a, a rhubarb purple kind of thing. It was terrible. But again, it was all designed to, to get oh. just a, an edge, any kind of edge to get yeah. us over the line, to win games, to accumulate points, to win the league. And, you know, I, I think we were promoted in March and, you know, 106 points. I still have a minor celebration myself every year when teams who <laughs> look at it at various times, they might just get close. As soon as they can't get close... I just uh, have a nice, refreshing uh, pint of lager. Dave, that's your question, right? You, you said that you made two important signings, Kevin Doyle and uh, Lita, right? Who made yeah. those signings? Who makes them signings? Back in the day, who made the, did you Did you feel that, was it your <clears throat> choice? Was it your assistant coach's choice? Was it the management choice? Was it, you know, you brought them club, them players into the club that made the difference, right? Now you've got hey, agents hey. being from all over the world, who, who yeah. brought them players in? Did you bring them players in? Did you well, identify we, them? We're both, we're both those players. Like, I'd seen Leroy a lot. Um, Brian McDermott was critical. Black Brian McDermott, when uh, we got promotion, had a role I'd never seen before. He was reserve team manager and scout, chief scout. And he looked after the reserve team. He, had, he still has a fabulous manner with people. And he, he'd um, brought Leroy onto the radar. Uh, we'd all watched him. You know, I would say that Nick Hammond had been quite a few times. I'd seen him. I just liked his hunger for goals. You know, there was no agent. Well, I, I can't even remember 
agent pushing any of the players we had. Uh, you know, we made the decision. We all saw Leroy a lot of times. It was a big signing for us, a million pounds. Mm. And the chairman, who was a little bit careful with his money at the best <laughs> of time, uh, had to be persuaded. But it was very much, you know, we felt that this was one of the final pieces in our jigsaw. Um, uh, Kevin Doyle was, um, again, a culmination. Eamon Dolan, who was our academy manager, his mm. brother was Pat Dolan who used to be the manager of Cork. He fell out of favour with the Cork people and he recommended to us um, to have a look at this player, uh, Kevin Doyle. Again, Brian McDermott went over, saw him play a few times and he said, yep, top quality. And I always remember I went over and I, I think I saw him play at Shamrock Rovers and it was a, an evening game and usually when, like all the scouts do in this country, I'm sure you've seen them, they all leave 10 minutes before the end. Yeah. But I was at Shamrock Rovers and I thought, well, it's pointless leaving before the end because I've got nowhere to go other than the hotel. <laughs> I don't have to beat the traffic anywhere. It doesn't bother me. And I stayed right until uh, the end of the game. And to be honest, Doyle hadn't done anything. For 88, 89 minutes, I'd looked at him and I thought, I can't see what the others are seeing. And then, again, 89th, last minute of normal time. Throw in on the edge of the opposition box. He received it into his body, turned the defender, beat two other defenders and slotted the ball into the corner of the net. And straight away, I said, right, you're going to be ours. And we signed him. And the great thing about Kevin Doyle at that time, he came to us in the middle of the Irish season. So he was fit as a flea. So as soon as he came in, involved in training with us, he was at peak fitness while everyone else was trying to catch up. So all of a sudden, Kitson, Lita, both knew they had top quality opposition to become two of the, the, the two strikers. It wasn't just because they were more senior, Kitson and Lita would be the two ones. Doyler from day one was right at the top of his game. So, you know, I knew I had the luxury of any two from three. But I think in the whole of that season, I only had to make that decision, which two from three on two occasions, because yeah. either one was injured, suspended, or somebody else was injured. I think there were only two games I had to make that decision. So wow. they, they, they were the the forty goal people we had to have to get promotion. There are other formulas to get promotion out of the championship, but for me, if you're two strikers, and now people don't even play with two strikers, do they? <laughs> they two strikers. If you no. got the two strikers who score you forty goals, you're halfway there. And then it, but you it, did. It continued into the Premier League. Uh, the, I think it was a premiership yeah. back then, was it? Um, yeah. It, it just continued. You had that momentum. You know, they, they kept scoring and, and you finished the season in eighth. What a, a, a brilliant season it was. And I think I think I'm right in saying you had a the, the FA Cup game against Man United as well. And you ran them close as well, I think, that season, didn't you? Um, what, yeah. You know, that, that season in the Premier League, you know, obviously getting up there was the big thing at, at that moment. But then... You prepare for a, a 
a season in the Premier League. Did did you go beyond what you hoped you would achieve that season? Well, the great thing about, first and foremost, the team who got promotion, but the team who also played in the Premiership, that none of the players, they were so hungry. None of the players mm. had played in the Premiership. You know, we didn't have one player who would say, well, when we were in the Premiership when I was playing for Arsenal, Tottenham, whoever, we used to do things this way. We had a blank sheet and we had a, a mutual drive and determination. And I would say that every day in training, you know, with Dil, uh, with Wally, with myself, Brian, uh, Nigel Gibbs, who joined us, you know, there was a real concerted effort to train the way we played um, at a real peak of intensity, which we did. And again, in that premiership season, at the start of the season, we had a, a team meeting and we more or less weren't bothered by the results of 10 games. You know, we said like your Liverpools, your Arsenal, Tottenham, the big, the big five, if we get anything out of those games, it's just a bonus. You know, it's a huge learning curve. Let's go in there, not bothered about losing. You know, let's try and attack them. Let's try and nick a few points here and there. If it happens, great. You know, our focus was on the other 28 games or whatever it was. We thought that's where we've got to be our, our very, very best. And again, we were attacking. We were a front foot team. We didn't go anywhere. Well, let's keep it tight and we might nick a goal and a set piece or something like that. When we got the ball, we wanted to attack and we had very, very capable players who were, as I say, just hungry to achieve something. So has the system changed or is it, is it the coaching mentality now of European-based coaches that's coming into the country? As the system, obviously systems have changed to like playing, like you said, one striker. You know, you, you, you had, a, you had a, a way of wanting to play. Right, so what's the, what's the difference now compared to when you were at Reading for Reading Football Club? You know how uh, well not just Reading Football Club for football now as as you as as a coach as a manager did and respect to you for mentioning Nigel Dill, you know Brian and, and and all the staff because that's important as well that you know the recognition you give to the people that's working for you. So what's changed uh, from Reading from you know, when you were in charge to the way that they are right now? Um, it's totally different, Dylan. It's a, it, it's a real... You get... I, I, I certainly, I would say, I'm classed sometimes now as being a dinosaur. And the, when we played, you know, the things you would hear on a daily basis was, can you play it forward? You know, if someone had an easy pass square or backwards in the name of keeping possession, I would say to them, I can do that. You know, I'm, at the time I was 50 odd, and I'd say, I can do that. <laughs> I don't want people just to pass the ball square and backwards. If you can, take the gamble. The most important thing in football, the most important thing in football is where you lose the ball. If you Agreed. lose the ball on the edge of your own box, trying to play out from a goal kick, you're in deep trouble. If you're mm. capable of doing it, brilliant. But there aren't many goals scored from goal kicks. Your no. own goal kick, and you pass the full length of the field, 10 passes, and you score. It does happen, 
And when it does happen, I appreciate them as much as anybody else. But, you know, our, our mantra was, can you play the ball forward? Ultimately, football is decided in a 1v1 confrontation in a critical position on the field of play, usually in the opposition box. So can you get it there to your match winners? Do I want Dave Kitson taking on a centre-half in the box, knowing that if he gets half a yard, he's got a shot on goal? Yes. Do I want him coming back to receive it from the centre-halves on the halfway line? Not very often. Yep. And the same with Doyler, Leroy Lita. Magnificent touch in and around the box on the halfway line with a big giant centre-half up his backside. You know, not the best. So again, we look to play to our strengths. We were front foot team as much as possible. And again, we didn't mind losing goals because we knew we had the potential to score against anybody at any time. And, you know, now I look at some games that Pep Guardiola is magnificent. Absolutely magnificent the way he take teams play. I think it does help that he's got a bottomless pit as regards a budget <laughs> so he can buy the best players. But when I see there's nothing worse than good football played badly. When you see teams attempt to play pass, 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 lose the ball, lose a goal. And then afterwards, you'll hear a coach say, well, we try and play football the right way. There is only one way to play football, and that is to win. You know, the, the only thing you learn when you get beat is how to get beat. You know, there are, there are no lessons as far as I'm concerned. You know, how do you win football games? You score more than the opposition. And, and well, Steve, I'll, I'll, Steve, I wanted to, wanted to ask you about Sir John Medeski because, uh, yeah. you know, such a, a fantastic period in the, in the club's history with you, with Brian McDermott. You know, how much of the credit do you give to Sir John Medeski for the success of your time at the club? Well, he said something to me that the day he offered me the job and we, we had a sort of stuttering start, as it were. Um, the day I joined the club, I actually signed my contract. He said to me, he said, listen, Steve, he says, uh, I want to make one thing, one thing very clear. He says, I know nothing about football. He says, but I do know business. So you take care of the football and I'll take care of the business. And for any coach, manager or whatever, to hear somebody in authority like that say that kind of thing, I thought I'd landed on my feet here. And like Sir John always says he knew nothing about football, but he certainly knew the questions to ask at the right time. <laughs> so when we did get beat, well, he would ask pinpoints He'd watched that much football. He knew what was going on. But he didn't interfere. He was ultra supportive. I think the first time we got beat, well, one of the first games I got beat as manager, we got beat by, I think it was Rotherham, 5-1 away. And he phoned me up over the weekend and it was very much, how are you? Well, I'm all right. You know, I'm fine. Raring to go next week. And on the Monday, he took me out to lunch because he thought I'd be so down that... You know, I needed him to sort of pick me up. And I said to him, German, I said, this is football. I said, you don't have to take me out every time we get beat. I said, so 
you know, let's make this a one-off and let's get rolling from here. He was ultra supportive, um, a wise man, um, not a football man in the true sense of the word, but he knew football. Much though he would claim otherwise, he knew football. And the kind of relationship we, uh, we had, I would say, was unique. There wouldn't be another club where a chairman would say, you know, I'll basically I'll foot the bill and you make all the football decisions. For a coach manager to hear that, manna from heaven. Steve, I'm going to let um, Dylan and Johnny jump in with, with uh, a, a question, but we, we've got um, a, a question for you via Instagram. It's from Ben Kelly. He's 14 years old from Tilehurst. He's a Reading season ticket holder, and he'd like to know what you make of the current situation at the club, and, and do you think now with what's happened with the, the new management coming in, Reading have got what it takes to stay up this season? Well, I've only seen, you know, little bits on TV this season. I haven't been to a live game. I will come before the end of the season. You know, I'd like to give some kind of support. Um, What's happened is sad. Um, I hope to get out of this, everything sort of permeates down from the top, whoever is the top. I don't know. I haven't got a clue. And obviously, it seems as if you don't know who is the top, who's making the decisions and for what reason. You know, Reading is in a fabulous location. It's There are a lot of things about it which are attractive other than the football. And I think you know exactly what I'm saying there. Um, I hope that from now until the end of the season, to maintain status, that the football decisions take priority and there is support given. Any coach is only as good as the recruitment that he's allowed to express himself with. If decisions are imposed on him, then it's a, it's a straitjacket and no coach can perform in those conditions. So I hope uh, Inse has the freedom uh, to express himself as a manager, uh, Jilksey to, to, to give him the knowledge, the local knowledge, as it were, and for the team to get the results that... They need not to be looking over the shoulder at the last couple of the games of the year. Go on, Dylan. One question from you and then one from, from Johnny. Off you go. Right. So, no, listen, listen. I, I when, when I left Reading, I actually spent two weeks. Steve gave me a trial at Crystal Palace. Well, it was Steve Kemba that brought me there and, and Steve was the manager. Now, imagine me, a Man United fan that, uh, you know, became a football player because of Steve Coppel and Gordon Hill actually going to play Crystal Palace. It didn't work out because I think they signed Kevin Musker, you know, and, yeah. and I enjoyed my, my, my time at Palace uh, with one of my footballing heroes. Um, my question is, 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 is something out of it, right? From an English point of view to when you, when you coached abroad, Steve, what was the difference? What was the, what was the difference from, you know, coaching in the UK than uh, coaching um, in, in another country? Well, I, I coached in India for three years, yeah. and I, yeah. I took it. I took the job in the first place as an opportunity to see India, which was a great opportunity. But I, I soon realised that the uh, coaching in India was one of the the biggest tests of, of, of my management skills or anybody's management skills because 
my first year there, we had 11, you could sign 11 foreign players, but you could only have six on the field at any one time. You also had 16 Indian players. Now, I was told that 90% of Indians speak English, <laughs> and they can't. And not only that, but a lot of Indians can't understand each other. There are 30 main dialects in India. So some of the squad of Indian players, 16, as I say, some of those couldn't understand each other. Some of them couldn't understand English. I had 11 foreigners coming from Af Africa, Eastern Europe, Western Europe, a couple of English, uh, me, Wally Downs and Niall Quinn as the coaching staff. So you can imagine some of my team talks went through about four translators before they were actually accepted. So it was the ultimate challenge and you had to do your work on the training field. There are not many grass football pitches in India. My first season was in Kerala coaching and uh, we trained uh, on a school football pitch. Now you might think, well, that's not so bad. But the school football pitch was an under-11 football pitch. So it was like three-quarter size. So what a challenge. What a challenge to try and get over your ideas to 11 foreigners, 16 Indians, get them in a shape which they could understand, get them playing in a style which was a simple and, and again, square, square pegs and square holes. Um, and it, it was a fabulous challenge. And that first year, we got to the uh, final of the, the, the tournament and we got beat in the final in front of 70-odd thousand fans. At our home ground, we got beaten penalties after extra time. So in many ways, although it, it certainly wasn't glamorous, it certainly didn't attract a great deal of attention. But as far as I was concerned, it was a massive managerial challenge. And I, I, I loved it. Looking back, it was great. There were sometimes, as time progressed in India, that I always say in India, sometimes, you, well, most days you would see something you wish you probably hadn't. Yeah. And I mean that, I mean that in so many ways. But it's also such a fascinating country. How it works, I will never, ever understand. 1.2 billion people you know, different religions, sects, and, and, and the population just seems to roll along. It's incredible. It's a fascinating country, and the football is coming along nicely. I, I still keep an eye on it. You're only allowed four foreigners in the team now, so they're gradually, the original plan was to increase the number of Indians, and that's what they're doing. So it's brilliant. Uh, Steve, we're almost out. Yeah, so I'm going to let Johnny get in one. Last final question. Yep. Go on, Johnny. Oh, Steve, it's a pleasure talking to you. It really is. Um, one question I'll ask you. Do you, do you miss the day-to-day -day football management stuff? And would you come back to Reading in some shape or form? No hunts come back. I have to ask you. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's funny. I, uh, like I, I don't put myself out there. I don't go to be on TV or radio or anything like that. I, I just do my own thing. I, yeah. I, yeah. I go and watch non-league football now an awful lot. Uh, I still have a passion for football. People always say to me, oh, you, you're retired now. And I say, well, no, I'd like to work. <laughs> but I think, I think football has retired me. 
as a you know I, I I think I've got a lot to offer I mentored a couple of young coaches I would still like to be involved somewhere because you know over a thousand games in in the football league uh, premiership as well you know I've got something to offer I've got energy but uh, phone doesn't ring so I, I'm, I'm quite happy with that because the wheel turns. The wheel always turns. Yeah. We'll you know, see if we can have a word. I play golf with somebody. I play golf with somebody. I've got to say this. I played golf at a charity event last year with somebody. And the captain of the team introduced me. He said, oh, Steve. He says, I haven't heard from you about you for so long. He said, I thought you were dead. <laughs> Steve, we're, we're really almost almost out of time now, so I'm going to have to wrap it up. And I just want to say thank you so much. It's been an honour and a pleasure. You're very welcome. Thank you, Steve. Thank you for joining us. Thanks, boys. Thank Big game tonight against Birmingham. Come on, you Royals. And next week, Trevor Senior, our special guest. So join us next Tuesday from 6:30 p.m. And don't forget, follow us on Twitter and Instagram at 1871 Podcast. Thank you. Take care and good night. And come on, you ours. Sports Social Podcast Network. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done which is music to his ears. Call, click or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.